Welcome to the Best Self Podcast. Today, do we have a rock star? We got Phil M. Jones in the house. I'm not sure if this episode is for you, but I do know that if you're into learning how to say the same thing, but better, if you're into how to say it, when to say it, you're going to dig this big cat. He's a, He's been a speaker on 57 plus countries, spanning five continents. He's a best-selling author, and even better, he's a fantastic human being. So excited to have you, buddy. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me to be on the show. Yes. You're so sincere in everything you do. I mean, you, you your content's incredible. One of the things I've heard you say is, you know, when the stakes are high, it's often our mouth that gets in the way. Can you kind of <laughs> go, can you go into detail? What, what do you mean by that? Well, it's in all areas of life is how many times have you stepped away from a conversation and thought shoulda, woulda, coulda? Right. How many times have you stepped away from a meeting or a discussion and thought, who on earth was that idiot with the person you were talking about being oneself? And is I don't believe that there is a problem, challenge, obstacle, opportunity in this world that cannot be helped or solved without a little more thoughtful thought to what comes out of our mouth, what we say, how we say it, when we say it. In fact, I believe it is the answer to just about every problem on the planet is knowing exactly what to say. And Everyone listening in right now can look back on a key point in their life that didn't go well. And when you think about that key moment in your life that didn't go well, how well did you show up to that moment in terms of both preparation and the words that left your mouth? Now, regardless of whether somebody else was at fault or whether somebody else could have done better, if this is best self, are you scoring yourself 10 out of 10 in how you showed up for that moment? Or did you have some mileage to be able to go? Do you live with some regrets? Do you live with some thoughtful thought about how you could have done differently? And what I've learned to be true is in almost every moment that didn't go our own way, we could have showed up with more intention, more curiosity, could have been strategically better aligned to how we approach that conversation. And had we done so, we'd be living in an altogether different reality. Uh, you, you, you mentioned a lot of good keywords there, curiosity, intentionality, mm-hmm. preparation. Do you find that the bulk of peeps that get themselves in trouble with what they're saying, how they're saying what they're saying, they put more time into finding their phone charger, planning their vacations than they do putting right. in time in how they speak. Almost always that is true. And, and I think I think I know why. I believe that we hold on a pedestal the ability to be able to improvise on the moment. We hold on a pedestal the ability to have the gift of the gab or the ability to be able to respond to just about any form of circumstances. And, and leaders and entrepreneurs and sales professionals have one thing that stays stays in their way more than almost anything else. And that thing is their experience. Mm. Because they're pretty good at what they do, they can show up a fraction as good as they know they can be most days, and it causes them no problems. Mm. And as human beings, we're fundamentally lazy. But we're so lazy that what we do is we create inefficiencies. We're not smart enough and lazy to create true efficiencies. We're lazy at being lazy, which means that actually what we do is we create a quantity of inefficiencies in our day-to-day lives. We're smart enough to be lazy enough to create templated language for, you know, the letter you send on repeat, the proposal you send on repeat, the meeting you send on repeat. And we jump to the default version of that in our in our Google Drive, our Dropbox, on our desktop, wherever. And we just adjust what we need to for the precise circumstances in front of us. Very few people take that time and thoughtful effort to spoken word, what comes out of their mouth in the moments that matter. So they find themselves in the moment. And in the moment, they're trying to write, perform, and edit at the same time. They're trying to write, perform, and edit at the same time. 
And scientists have proven that you cannot write, perform, and edit at the same time. You can do any two of those well, but not all three of them. Yeah, that's good, man. So is there a process we can take to make our experiences count a little bit more, our conversations count a little bit more, so that when we get into the big game or the big moment, that we are best prepared? I know you. we'll get into this too, but you know, better prepared uh, is how you would put that. I mean, I wrote a book and I have a high volume of body of work around all things exactly what to say. Yet still, the missing ingredient that most people fail to catch is one of the key principles. We talk about it in the special edition that's behind your left shoulder right now. And I share this in our certification programs too. And I joke about it in my keynote speeches. And what I joke about in my keynote speeches is that the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment you're saying it. Now, we all laugh because it's been true in our life, but it isn't actually a joke. What we're better off to be able to decide is what are the moments that matter more than anything else in our worlds, and then at least get ready, ready, ready. See, the overwhelm is there are too many moments to get ready for, so we get ready for none of. That's why you can get prepared for your vacation, because you've decided this moment matters, but you can't get prepared for your life because there's too many variables. So just like you can get prepared for your vacation because you've decided it matters, you can decide the conversations that matter. My invitation to everybody listening in right now is to always decide what are the three critical conversations you're uber focused on right now? One in your personal life, one in how you show up as a leader, and one in an area that's going to be commercial, i.e. it's going to put money in your pocket. If you can add heightened levels of intentionality, just about three conversations, one personal, one professional, uh, sorry, one personal, one leadership, one commercial, then... um that level of intentionality alone will make you get better. Now you've got something to focus on to decide where are you going to apply new skills towards. You can't get better at every conversation. You can get better at any conversation you decide to get better at. So my invitation would be, before you look at elevating skills, decide the field of play. Decide the arena that you're looking to be able to refine those skills at, add new skills to, to be able to put more trial and error to. And chances are, you'll get demonstrably different results. So oh, good. Love it, buddy. Love it. So on the topic of better is always better than best. I loved that. Do you feel like people that simply aim to be their best are putting a lid on their dreams or a lid on their success road? Are they putting a ceiling on top of themselves that, that it's not like a glass ceiling, like it's a ceiling ceiling? Is that is that your kind of stance there? Um, It's a little more complex than that. Is my belief is that our relationship as human beings with the word best is not a healthy relationship. I believe that we look at it in terms of best practice. Best practice creates a ceiling. It says that's as good as it can be. You can only do as good as that or below. Like there is no surpassing that. And if we all even look back to the Roger Bannister four minute mile famous story is that when people believe that human couldn't run a mile in less than four minutes, people were happy to play below that belief because the best you could ever get was 402, 403, 405. Right. Roger Bannister runs a 357, and guess what? Now everybody else believes it's possible. Right. And it comes from a relentless focus on better. Not only that, is although we might all be running similar races, we all have different start lines. Mm -hmm. So when you're comparing yourself to other people, what you're often doing is you're suppressing your own performance or your capability of your performance because you're comparing yourself with somebody else. People say comparison is the thief of joy. I don't know whether that is necessarily true. I just think if you're going to compare yourself to others, you have to compare the whole of you with the whole of them. 
which is often more difficult to do, right? Is we could look at each other as parents and we could find things that like, man, I love that what Brad manages to be able to do with his kids is this, this, and this. And you're like, oh my God, what Phil manages to do with his kids. But you you live in Boise, Idaho. Yeah. And I live in New York City. Your kids are one age, mine are another. I have twins. You have differences. Yep. So once you start getting into the fact that you cannot apples for apples compare anything, what you learn to be able to do is to compare in a healthy way. So what that then means is as much as I live in New York City and I'm limited by the ability to go fishing, kayaking, getting out into the woods, et cetera, can I be inspired by the things that you do? And can I write a better version of me based on what I learn from your experience of things you do with your kids? Heck yeah, I can. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about better as opposed to best is better is moving. Better is fluid. Mm. Better is possible for any human being wherever they are on the journey today. You can always get better. You could never actually do your best because we are all having increased levels of performance above us and top of us. Doesn't mean to not try your best, but you're trying your best whilst focusing on better. Yeah, and awesome. even the words trying your best, aren't they in conflict with each other? Mm. Trying means I'm attempting. Right. Best is an absolute. Yep. So actually it's a strive I, I love for better that. that is actually trying my best. Right. That's that's fantastic. So would you say that best is more outcome thinking and better is more process oriented? Um, One of my favorite quotes is a definition for success by a guy by the name of Paul J. Meyer. Paul J. Meyer founded LMI, a big leadership management training institution. Paul J. Meyer defines success as the progressive realization of predetermined, worthwhile, and attainable goals. And I think what I love about that, it's the progressive realization of predetermined. So it means you're choosing, but you're always choosing. It means that there's always something out there in front of you. It means that we're always striving for something bigger than where we're at. And I don't believe that's a bad thing. I believe that that's actually a good thing is to be human. We need something to be able to run towards. So how does that relate to best? It's this acceptance that best is just a pipe dream. Best is a goal or an objective, but actually we don't want to achieve it. We want to chase it. Mm-hmm. that's what we really want to do. Certainly through my perspective, we want yeah. we we want to achieve the impossible at any given period of time. Best is impossible. So as long as it's out there in the future, let's keep getting after it, keep casting a better dream towards best. But note, you're never going to get there, but you're also going to be darn happy continuing to try. I love it. I love diving deep into that kind of stuff. So today, when my toes touched the floor, when I got out of bed, my goal should be to meet myself where I'm at and be be the best version of myself today, but always chasing the best version of myself, always becoming, would that be accurate? Okay. Um, Yeah, there's accuracy in that. And I think, you know, it's join yourself where you're at today and have a desire to become your best self, but it doesn't mean you're going to be your best self today. It means that you can look at the micro moments that exist in your day and say, how do I get to be better at myself today to strive towards this? Best self is the goal, but you don't get to be your best self today. If you're honest, you can try all you like to be your best self today and you'll sit there at bedtime tonight and find things that were not congruent towards you being your best self. And you'd repeat the same thing for 365 days for every day you have air in your lungs. 
So then we set ourselves up to fail. You actually guarantee failure on the quest to best self. That's problematic towards even the central nervous system right. because we don't feel like success. Success breeds success. Whereas if you focus on better and then you achieve those, what you did is just create new normals. So the focus in my mind, always on better and better will always beat best if you give it enough time. That's good, buddy. I love it. This is this is going fast, big cat. I appreciate your time. You're a beast. Fantastic beast. So the coach, the leader, the salesperson, the parent, the educator, the person that has said countless times, man, I've told this person a hundred times to do the same thing and they still can't get it. I'm sure you've heard that a million times yourself. Yep. What is their missing link? What are they missing? Well, the first thing to realize in this is most people do not choose to do a bad job. So if somebody is repeatedly doing something wrong, they're probably not choosing to repeatedly do something wrong. I think you have to have that thought first. You see, you get angry at somebody repeatedly doing something wrong or not in line with where your expectations are. They're not doing what you're feeling or thinking they're doing. More often than not, they are not deliberately betraying your request. They just didn't understand what it was you were asking them. They didn't believe it to be important enough. They didn't understand the level or standard of expectation that you had versus what they believed to be true. The almost counterintuitive belief set would be beneficial to exist in this moment is to decide that whatever happens is all your fault. Not to the point of blame, but to the point of responsibility. So if the other person is not getting it, you have to explore with curiosity, what are the reasons internally why that person might not be getting it? It's either they don't know what to do, they don't know how to do it, or they don't want to do it. Which one of those three things is? They don't know what, they don't know how, or they have no desire. Guess what? Can you help somebody with all three of those things? And we have to explore which of those three things or what the combination of those three things is or where their competency level is. So they might know how to do part of it. They might know what to do at part of it. They might have partial desire. See, this isn't zero to 10, zero to 10, zero to 10. Right. They're probably a seven, a six, and a three. Sure. Get into the mess with people. One of my further favorite sayings comes out of the Marines, and the Marines taught me that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. When it comes to creating change, particularly in other people, often what we look to try to do is we get agitated, we get aggressive. We accelerate the pace of our language. We accelerate the volume of our language. We heighten the tenacity in our language. And the result of which is in a scenario where somebody is underperforming, we insert panic and anxiety and then expect that to help. If the goal is to help others, often the first thing to better do is to slow down. See, if somebody is struggling, what they are is they're in a, a moment of chaos. If somebody is in a moment of chaos, what they require is order. So if you add chaos to chaos, you cannot expect anything other than more chaos. If the goal is to create order, slow down in the chaos, help somebody organize the chaos to the point they get to new order. And then once they get to a point of new order, you can create new chaos on purpose in the direction of where you might like it to go. But perpetually as society, we live in moments of chaos and moments of order, moments of chaos, moments in order. We understand that from society. We understand that if you look at 500 years of growth, it also exists one-on-one -on -one in the relationships we have with the people that we care about. That's so good. So sticking with leadership and, and sales and, and just gen people, you know, entrepreneurs, 
you know, there was a study I saw a couple of years ago where it talked about 67% of people in leadership positions got removed because they couldn't get their big ideas off the ground. You see, you know, right. entrepreneurs, 90% of entrepreneurs won't make it three years, couldn't get their big ideas off the ground. What is it that you're seeing? Why is it that they can't get their big ideas off the ground? They're clearly passionate about this. At one point, they were committed. At one point, they had discipline, or so they thought. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, that's a large number. Um, it could almost only come down to one thing, which is execution. Yeah. Right. I mean, most of us are a proven track record at failing at executing on our big ideas. You've only got to look at your New Year's resolutions for all the years you've been alive on the planet. The number of big ideas that you set for yourself in December and had already failed at before you got to the end of the month of January. Yeah. Like, we are actually proven success rec- success stories of failing on repeat. We cannot be surprised that this translates towards the big ideas that people have in business. Right. And it's because execution is actually significantly harder than people give it credit for. In a business setting, the execution of a big idea often results in the need to bring a quantity of high-quality people with you. It results on having to solve problems that you haven't even yet realized exist. And then you have to be able to collaborate with other people on that journey and continually re-collaborate with people on that journey. And you have to work with people you don't necessarily like. You have to create outcomes out of people that wouldn't necessarily be your friends. You have to learn to communicate with others that are demonstrably different to you in terms of a value set, skill set, and a mindset. And you have to do that every single day. Being a leader and particularly leading a big idea that is going to create change in the world is not supposed to be easy. It is one of the most difficult communication roles on the planet because you have to learn to be a chameleon and the Swiss army knife and a resilient Swiss army knife that's 45 years old that still works today, even though it was first designed to open a tin of beans 45 years ago. You have to be all those things and know which thing to pull out at which time to be able to get it to go the distance. And I believe that what stops people bringing their big idea through to reality is realizing that through that change, they also need to change too. They need to get better. They need to be so committed towards this outcome that they have to realize that they are competently or incompetent at a variety of the jobs they're going to need to do to get this to the finish line. And it's the ones that don't accept that they need to become different people through that journey that go back to self. And then that's what stops them from being able to run the distance. Right. That's awesome. I heard you say once that rarely do others say no to you. They say no to it. That's right. Could you clarify what you meant by that? Well, in a simple form of sales environments, we live in fear of rejection. Yeah. If somebody is rejecting your offer of your product or your service or how you might be able to help them, there's a strong possibility they're not saying no to you at your human personal core, which is where we tend to receive that rejection. They're saying no to that given offer at that given price point at that precise timeline. And I think the minute you realize that people are saying no to it, and they're actually just saying no to it right now, you can protect self a little. You can also realize that when somebody said heck no to something yesterday, it doesn't mean that they might not say hell yes next week. And we have to stay strategically optimistic enough to believe that just because something was true doesn't mean that it's always true. And I think particularly here in North America, we like rules. We like something is black, something is white, something is right, something is wrong, something is good, something is bad. And we love to be able to polarize opinion with these black and white different outcomes. 
Yet the gray space is where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. Gray space is a safe space and therein form can become a play space. And in that play space, we hold the ability to create change. Failure to get into the gray space means that the only thing we can do is to double down on existing opinions. So trying to be able to create environments where there is no answer of who's right and who's wrong, but what needs to happen next or what are our options or possibilities from here is a way more enjoyable place to live because you end up having more control both about your mindset and in terms of the outcomes. It's just a dangerous place for millions of people to live at the exact same time because it's harder to organize people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, that's that's good, man. There's, I get so many different things rocking through my dome when you're talking about that. We're we're getting close to out of time. I mean, we could talk about you know maybe it's kind of a gray space too, where a lot of people collect wins and a lot of people dreams go to die. Uh, there's a lot of. I wanted to ask you one even, thing, even super practically on that, real quickly for everybody yeah, listening. Go for it. Yeah, go for it. Like this show's coming out towards the end of the year, early part of a new year. Mm-hmm. Just. Cast your mind back over the last 12 months and think about all the things that nearly happened, could have happened, potentially maybe were successful outcomes for you. And instead of running uh, 24, 25, thinking about how do you collect new opportunities, new opportunities, new opportunities, what if you just decided to revisit all of the maybes over the last 12, 18 months, get back into the messy gray space, and see if you can help those people, those individuals, those opportunities to decide, are they heck yes or hell no? Don't force yourself to be able to steer an outcome one way or the other. Just be brave enough to get into the mess with people for long enough to help them make their mind up which side of this line they're going to land upon. And I'm almost certain that that will appear harder, yet actually be easier for you to create more of the opportunities that you're looking for in the next 12 months than trying to start conversations with strangers. So good. I love that. And I do. I mean, I think I could talk 30 minutes on the maybe. Uh, and you, you've brought up curiosity. You just brought up courage. There was a third one, three uh, key areas. Empathy. Empathy. Yeah. Yeah. So good. All all things I'm passionate about. Just I just want to touch on education. You know, you hear people say, you know, if you want a, a 16 year old moving in the right direction, you, you need to start when they're six. If you want to a 26-year-old start when they're 16, 36, 26, et cetera, et cetera. But you look at education today, and there's no content area in most places. I mean, you got the the core, you know, English, math, science, some of these things, but you don't have anything in regards to the stuff that you're talking about, the stuff that translates, the things that will make you money, create influence, positive impact. Make them one day fantastic parents, friends, teammates, colleagues. There's there's no content areas like this. Okay. Well, I guess I guess I don't even know what I'm asking. What are your thoughts on that? Is, is that a missing link? Is that do you believe that is something that we're missing? If I mean the stuff that you're talking about is gold. I um have a lot of thoughts about this. And one of the thoughts that doesn't get perhaps reflected upon much is it isn't the school or the education system's complete responsibility to provide young people with every set of tools that they require to be able to win at life. What I think the education system does remarkably well is I believe it provides structure around what it takes to learn. I think it teaches you that the world does want to keep score. 
And as much as we wish it wasn't true, it is true, right? We do have a grade system in every area of life in some way, shape or form. I think that the education system also helps provide you know, essential knowledge and understanding that is required to be able to do just about anything. And I hear people joke about things like I've never used algebra in my life and I've never used Pythagoras's fourth theorem in my life. And I'm like, I think you find you have. Yeah. I think you find you have is that, that 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 you have learned to be able to figure out what C is when A equals this and B equals the other, right? You've right. learned to be able to decipher that in hugely complicated scenarios. It was just given to you in a simple model in basic right. algebra. So I think the education system gets a bad rap because its expectation is to be able to do a lot more than what it ever promised it would be. Let's also remember that who are the teachers in an environment, in an environment, in an education system. There are people who have followed the success story of you go to school, you get a good education, you go to university, you get a good degree, you go get a good job, that good job looks after you forever. They are a product of that product. Therefore, they're going to be an ambassador for that product. That's just common sense. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the skills around communication and teamwork and collaboration and growth and overcoming difficulties and rejection, et cetera. Where do they exist in the education system on mass? In all of the extracurricular activities that exist within the education system that some choose to play full on, some choose to ignore. Mm. See, I'm not a great product of the education system in its traditional method. I didn't leave. I graduated high school. I viewed my exams as quizzes and puzzles. I had an offer on the table for a prestigious university. I decided not to go. I wanted to go and get my education in the workplace. But I'll tell you some of the best lessons I got in my education. Playing on the soccer team looking to get involved in extracurricular leadership projects, going on a cross-country team event to the other side of the world to be able to collaborate with others and learn about the humans that were the teachers that were in my classes, to sit with them around a campfire, the ability to be able to understand what it takes to be able to collaborate and communicate with kids from different ages in different schools I'd only just met recently. These were all provided by the education system, but they were extracurricular or optional. And I think we can do more of that. And and as parents, our job is to be able to facilitate more of that. And I think lower the bar on what they expect from the education system, jump over it, and then say, and what else? Where else can we go get what we would like our young people to become, knowing that they're not going to get it? Like, we know for certain they're not going to get everything they need to be fully rounded adults in the schooling system. I think we're ignorant and unfair on ourselves and our children if we are looking for the school system to do our parental and societal responsibilities of raising brilliant young people. Well, such a fantastic answer, man. That was so good. I could not agree with you more. Growing up, uh, I was always a good kid, always an eager to pleaser, always kind, and I always did the right thing. I mean, I, I went to high school, I went to college, I got my master's, all that stuff. I learned more from extracurriculars than all that stuff. Uh, I'm yep. not saying any of that. I'm not saying I didn't need the other stuff too. I still needed that and all that jazz, but man, what a great answer. All right, buddy. You've been an absolute rock star. You've got 30 seconds before I kick Jones nation to the curb. How can they create a better version of themselves today? Their toes touch the floor. They're in the car. They're at work, wherever they're listening in, watching this starting right now. In the next 24 hours, how can they begin creating the best or better version of themselves today? Think about everything you did yesterday. Write yourself a list. 
write about your yesterday and the list is going to be firstly a list of your LBs. What does LB stands for? It stands for your like best. What do you like best about how you showed up yesterday? Write all those things down. Then start the second list, a list of your NTs. What does NT stand for? It stands for next time. Write the list of all the things that you'll do next time in those same scenarios based on yesterday. What you'll then do is you'll compound the things that you do that you're proud of. You'll do more of those. You'll anchor those in as norms. What you'll also do is give yourself permission to hyper-focus that when you're in a scenario again where you realize that the next time, you might show up with more of that next time mindset towards that thing. You can do that with your yesterday. You can do it with your last week. You can do it with your last big event. You can do it with your last big meeting. LBs and NTs can change your life. That's so good, buddy. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy cat. And uh, man, I wish you the very best. Make it a great day. Thank you so much.